0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. Hi, Abby.
1: Hello. I'm
0: so excited to see you.
1: I know. I'm so excited to see you too. So we know each
0: other for several years now. And this is like such a full circle moment because... (laughs) <laughs> we, we met online and you were leaving, we'll just get right into it. This is Abby Vernon. You are a trauma-trained somatic coach, but you were previously a yoga teacher. We met when during the pandemic when everyone was getting online and you were finishing your somatic experiencing um, certification. And you wanted to get online and you were developing a program. And so we walked you through creating that program, finalizing it, getting yourself online. And it's been incredible to watch you soar. And we will get into all that. Can you tell us what is somatic experiencing and what a trauma trained somatic coach is?
1: Okay. So somatic experiencing is a form of body-based therapy that was developed by Peter Levine. And it's a form of working with your physiology rather than the cognitive processes in your mind to help renegotiate the effects of chronic stress and trauma. And I call, so my title um, is officially a somatic experiencing practitioner, but because not a lot of people know what that is, um, I call myself a trauma-trained somatic coach as well yeah. because it was the you know extensive training in trauma resolution. And because we work primarily with the body, hence the name somatic, because we are working with body-oriented processes.
0: Amazing. Yeah, I think that the what we discovered during the pandemic was a lot of people under mega stress, a lot of people sitting with themselves. Um I know that I worked like crazy during the pandemic. I became super busy. And in my own experience, I was hitting all of these walls where I was trying to optimize my scaling my business, optimize my health, optimize my habits, all of these things. And I was working with a therapist, but it wasn't until really working with you as a I was coaching you for your business, but as you were explaining what you did and we were going through the program that I really learned. And I had learned this before through my yoga teacher training, that trauma was stored in the body, but I didn't quite understand the nuances until we went through this actual training that you created where I learned that I was living in fight, flight, or freeze on a day-to-day basis. And so, Mm -hmm. um, getting in discovery with that of what that looked like in my day-to-day life physically and physiologically was life altering. It led me on a path of working with so many different modalities, but really understanding like my body is speaking to me constantly. And if I'm not in communication with that, it's ruling me, you know, and it was my operating system. I was binge eating, um, I, bulimia, I had bouts to bulimia on and off the last, uh, during the pandemic, it like has, has reoccurred over my life. And so the work that you do is so powerful, even by just educating people the way that you do on, on Instagram, in your social media, even by educating me in the conversations we had, it was really impactful. So just the awareness itself is so important. I remember on one of it was probably like four weeks into our eight week coaching call. And I discovered that you were hilarious and (laughs) like (laughs) snarky and dry and really funny. And, but what I had seen on Instagram and specifically we were coaching around social media and your program, how to market your program on social media. And so when I discovered and unearthed this like hilarious Abby, it didn't match the Instagram that I, saw and there was what I was looking at when I saw your Instagram back then was um, post pictures of you looking very happy and being a yoga teacher and looking the way a yoga wellness teacher and coach is supposed to look like and then when I got to know you I was like you're so fucking funny like what why don't we just does anybody get this And what I discovered through that session was that you had buried away a lot of that humor because um, you were coming up on 10 years sober and your humor was a thing that in your sarcasm specifically, I think you said, was something that you used to mask your own pain and trauma as well as inflict pain and push away other people. And so and what ended up happening was you created a funny reel just like a few days later that went viral on Instagram. And you've since repeated that virality, like to the note of 32,000 people at this point. And so I have a few questions about that. Like one, congratulations on 10 years sober. What does sobriety mean to you? And why did you put your humor away along with creating your sobriety? How did that happen?
1: Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, I, I definitely used a humor as a coping mechanism and as a cover up for how I was really feeling for a long time. Um, and as a way to, to push people away, you know, you mentioned the, the sarcasm and that can also be a way you know, depending on how it's used mm-hmm. to keep people at a distance. And I was also in a relationship with someone who was similar and it it was not a healthy relationship at all. So when I got out of that relationship and I and I got sober, um, I was learning how to be myself again. And I think instinctively, you know, that humor has always been there, but because I had associated it with being a coping mechanism for me and pushing and a way to push things down that needed to be looked at, um, there was a whole lot more to be unearthed underneath that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really feel comfortable circling back to, I mean, it would come up here and there, Um, And depending on the company that I was in, you'd see glimmers of it. But I didn't really feel comfortable reconnecting to it fully until, you know, you were that mirror for me and showed me like, I don't see a a coherence here. Mm -hmm. I see there's some kind of disconnect between who you are and what you're putting out on Instagram. And just... Like learning that it was okay to be me and, you know, transitioning out of a a long-term job too into becoming an entrepreneur. Like that was also a huge awakening for me as well. And so it was this slow shedding of the armor that I had built up around first not wanting to tap into that humor for fear that I might revert to that self And then also feeling this liberation and freedom and being in business for myself and being out on my own and also seeing it, you know, supported um, and celebrated by other people. Uh, So it became a very cathartic process. Actually, I talked to my students and clients about how um, it's it's now a way for me to connect to my inner child, you know, to have that sense of playfulness and creativity and uh it's it's been really really freeing yeah
0: and for context what we're talking about are your educational reels like you often will play like two parts of yourself you'll play the the traumatized part of your or not yourself like people's different different people's scenarios right you'll play like the fawn and you'll play the codependent and you'll play all these parts of people's psychology and um and it's hilarious you're so good at it and You get thousands and thousands of likes and comments and it's so cool to witness because it was this beautiful, my favorite like thing that I learned about you during that was just your, your beautiful humor and wit. Um, I also really resonated with that personally because I was a yoga teacher for about six years. And before that I was like party animal. I perceived myself as such a mess and and a bad friend and a bad daughter. I had all these uh, labels and stories that I'd created. And so when I became a yoga teacher, I dressed the part. I looked the part, posted the part. It was all about this wellness aesthetic and yoga aesthetic that I believed that people wanted to see from me. And in person, I think that I was very much, you met the there was like an integrated version of me, but on Instagram, there's definitely this disconnect of who I wanted people to perceive me as. And so I, it was, for me, it was like, I recognized that. I was like, holy shit. Like, I know this cause I've been this. So, um, it was, it was glaring to me, but what, at what point did you become a yoga teacher? And was that in tandem with your sobriety? Because I feel like that's a lot of time. the path is the wellness, the yoga teaching. And it's not yoga teaching. It's when you become a yoga teacher, the process that you unbecome to become a yoga teacher is so healing and is such a spiritual awakening, right?
1: Truly, truly. And I had started practicing yoga before I got sober. And I knew there was something there for me. But it was also, you know, sometimes it was this a beautiful process of feeling at home in my body and um, uh, at one with a a higher power of some sort. And then other times it was just like I was going in so hungover and smelling of alcohol the night before, and (laughs) it's just like, and it was a way to. "Quote unquote detox," but then I'd end up like smoking a cigarette with my girlfriend after mm-hmm. <laughs> outside of the studio after class. Yeah, so it was at first, you know, just that form of um, exercise and also something to do, and it was that opening, right? That there was a small uh, window, a small doorway opening, and then when I got sober. Um, it was the way, the first way, the primary way that I was able to come back to my body and finally feel like what it what it meant to be human in, uh, in a body that wasn't using drugs and alcohol and I also used uh, food and coping and uh, eating disorders to cope for a long time too. And that lasted a little bit longer than my drug and alcohol addiction. Um, but it, it put me face to face with with my body and and what it meant to be alive without using substances to regulate myself. Um, and I just, I went all in. I was like, I, I need this. This is helping to keep me alive right now. This is my saving grace. So I followed that thread. I had nothing else going for me in my life. I mean, I, I didn't have a job. I was getting out of a really unhealthy marriage and I knew there was something in the yoga field for me. So I did my training, started teaching right away. And I just continued to follow that thread. You know, it took me into um, working for a corporate yoga studio and into the, the management realms as well. But it really started with saving my life.
0: Yeah. I really resonate with that. It was a very similar path. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know that, I mean, I would probably still be a bartender drinking five nights a week (laughs) if I hadn't become a yoga teacher. And there was times where I was doing both, even into the beginning of that career, but it was the doorway, like you said, so beautifully said. What is it like to be sober 10 years? And what has that journey been like for you, for people that are curious about sobriety? Is it... Um, has it been difficult and what's that journey feel like today?
1: It is, it's the greatest gift. It is the best thing that's ever happened to me. It is the reason why I'm still here for sure. Um, I actually just celebrated my 11 year, um, sobriety of birthday in March
0: Congratulations!
1: and thank you. It's, it's a little surreal. Because it is like I, I live two completely different lives. The life that I live now looks nothing like the life that I lived uh, before I got sober. Um, now you have a daughter it was too. Hard in the beginning. I do. Yeah. I have a, a four and a half year old daughter. I have a husband. Um, we're in a healthy relationship. Um and to see, and none of this, none of it would have been possible if I if I hadn't gotten sober. Um, but those that first year, you know, in those beginning years were definitely hard. It was, I was fighting for my life. I, um, I had spent a lot of years prior to that going in and out of being sober too with some harrowing experiences. And it really did hit me Last time it was on, you know, March fifth, two thousand eleven. I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I have to figure out another way. Um, so there was no no other option for me at that point. And thankfully, I had really good support around me. I mean, that is something that I don't, I don't know that I would have been able to do it without having the support of, of um, really good women, especially around me who were there for me, who were able to walk me through those initial steps and let me know I was on the right track. And were these Um, friends
0: or were you an AA? What did that look like, your support system?
1: In the beginning, it was AA. Um, I had a lot of strong women uh, mentors in the program. Uh, I also had good friends in the program too. I, one of the reasons though why I left AA was because it was also a place where I didn't feel like I was growing anymore. Mm-hmm. So it, it did help in the beginning. And then after a while, um, it didn't feel like it was helping anymore. But it definitely helped to give me that foundation that I needed to, you know, I did my step work. Um, I, I mentored other women as well. But after a while, and especially you know, in the for any for anyone who's familiar with the with the um, sobriety commu- the AA community specifically, and I'll speak to my experience. Sometimes it, it can be a little toxic, a little or a lot, um, and that was also part of my experience. So I was able to get my feet underneath me. Um, had solid support from my female friends and mentors and then was able to spread my wings and kind of go out on my own.
0: And so how does that how did so what led you to somatic experiencing what at what point in your yoga career were you that you discovered somatic experiencing and did that is it much like yoga where you discover A tool that you like and then you wanted to share with people, or did you seek it out for another layer of tools to offer other people and it in return gift you back with the side effects of being the practitioner, being the healed?
1: I was leading a teacher training. I was co-leading a teacher training and my mentor who was leading the teacher training was in the somatic experiencing training at the time. So she was infusing what she was learning in the training with us and the yoga teacher training with us. And she basically told me, you need to do this training. This is, this is for you for sure. And so I thought about it and, you know, I hadn't heard of somatic experiencing before, and I, I, you know, some of the concepts seemed kind of heady. And then I had another girlfriend in the same week say that she was doing the training and she wanted me to join her in doing it. And this was, this was, so when? was how long ago? Um, <clears throat> that's a good question. Uh, four, five years ago, four or five years so like ago, like 2017 or 18,
0: 18.
1: Yes. I'm
0: asking because I feel like the buzzword of 2022, either one 2021 or 2020, was like somatic. And then all of a sudden somatic experiencing became a pretty well-known technique or, you know, theory. And, um, but bef- but for you to have a teacher and then another friend recommend it at that moment in time, it wasn't as common. It was much much
1: more underground. Right. Yes. I hadn't heard of it before. And when I did research around it, it, I saw that it was a trauma resolution program. And at that point, this is this is when tra- the word trauma hadn't been as integrated mm-hmm. in society and the conversation yeah, as the it is now. As
0: well,
1: you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I don't, I don't know if this is for me, and then come to find out, you know, and I had never, I'd been in therapy for years and had never had the connection of um, one of the underlying catalysts for addiction and especially the severity of the of addiction that I had is trauma. Mm-hmm. And I had someone, so I, I decided I'm going to you know, go to the training, see if it's for me. It's a three-year long training, but you can take it by modules. So it's like, I'll take the first module and and see and and, um, figure out if it's for me or not. And that first day, I was like, this is what I've been looking for. (laughs) This is what I've been waiting for. This is I felt such. I felt so seen. There was so much uh, validation that I experienced, and I had my one of my somatic experiencing mentors come up to me before she was my mentor, um, who is also uh, decades into her sobriety, and talk to me about you know where where my addiction had stemmed from, and you know we talked about my history, and I just like, broke down. Um, in it, in a wonderful way, because I had never, for me, my addiction always felt like it was my fault. Mm, I relate and to that. I had to take responsibility and, um, you know, there weren't any other, later on, it came out that there were other addicts in my family, but from what I could see at the time, there weren't other addicts in my family. And we family. normalized
0: addiction so it as felt well. Like We've normalized alcohol right. addiction, we normalize food addiction, we normalize tech addiction. There's a lot of normalization of what addiction is, and we also normalize trauma. So I could see how that could easily be right. not known if it was either a secret or just normalized.
1: So true. So true. So it just felt like a homecoming. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know it at the time, you know, it, it felt like a very healing experience for me to be there. So I didn't have any plans of working this into my professional career at the time. I was just, I felt so validated by what I was learning about the nervous system and about um, expanding the definition of trauma um, and understanding that I wasn't alone yeah. in that Um, it was, it was life changing. So I feel like yoga was my first step, which is, you know, it's a Mm body-based practice and yet so many yoga teacher trainings, mine included, you know, don't have or didn't have a, um, a basis around trauma resolution. And so somatic experiencing takes it to another level and we talk about you know why because i noticed in my in my own teaching and in teacher training too like students were having strong reactions and you know sometimes they would be emotional reactions sometimes they'd be physical reactions and we didn't know at the time with the training that we had you know how deep this practice actually mm-hmm. goes so to have that next layer of the onion peeled yeah. back and understand Oh there's a whole lot more going on here that your body is speaking that you may not be able to connect you know your your thoughts you may not be able to verbalize but that is present And so why in the practice. why
0: is if you can give us your explanation why is trauma stored in the body and why are we having these extreme reactions that sometimes we don't even know about whether it be having a muscle spasm and an injury or whether it be softening Mm -hmm. into an area of the body and into the fascia, into the muscle and having emotional responses, you know, two extreme responses, but why, how does it live there?
1: It can, it can be for a variety of reasons, but I would say, you know, for many of us, myself included, you know, growing up in a, Um, emotionally uh, emaciated or (laughs) emotionally barren environment where it wasn't seen as uh, appropriate or healthy to express our emotions. It wasn't seen as appropriate or healthy to express boundaries, um, to push back, to voice our needs, to voice my needs. Um, So all of that stays living inside of us you know as humans we have needs no matter who you are you you if you're human you have needs but if you weren't taught that it's natural to have these needs and desires and wants and and that um, they do need to be expressed um, and that emotions need to be expressed if they're coming up they're coming up for a reason they're here for us to work with. And they want to move through right they're meant to be travelers not not mm-hmm. residents but if we don't have support around feeling them and expressing them then they stay inside of us they stay stuck stuck inside of us so that can be through familial programming that can be through cultural programming definitely through societal programming in the u.s you know especially in hustle culture and wanting to push forward and keep going override our body's natural responses um, because we don't know how to listen we don't know how to attune to you know sometimes it's through it's unconscious as well Um, but those one way that we view stored trauma in the body is this activated energy right so if you're angry or if you You want to speak up for yourself, but you don't know how, or you want to say something you want to, um, you're feeling upset, you're feeling sad, but you can't show that in the environment you're in. Or maybe you don't have someone who understands who, you know, we talk about compassionate witness, you don't have a compassionate witness or a competent protector around you who can show you that it's okay to feel Mm -hmm. this way, that it's okay to be experiencing hurt anger sadness confusion frustration so that turns inward and that can manifest in a myriad of different ways but if we're suppressing if you know we have a feeling come up and then we're suppressing against it then our bodies start to harden against it as well our body it's interesting
0: that phrase compassionate witness because i i interpret it in a few different ways it's like The compassionate witness is either first modeled or not when we're children, we either have a compassionate witness to our experiences growing up where the adult says, it's okay that you feel that way. I understand that you're frustrated. I'd be frustrated too, right? Like we learn, we're learning now as parents to narrate this, these scenarios as we talk to our children, at least you and I are. And some people I know, right. If you don't have, which is a very disciplined behavior as an adult to talk to a child like that. So there's not many parents that we grew up with that had, that were compassionate witnesses to our experiences and emotions. So most of us didn't have that modeled to us, that compassionate witness. And so not having a, so then our inner dialogue is not a compassionate witness either. And that's what I've learned so much that I had to reparent my inner child and reparent myself. To become the Mm -hmm. compassionate witness when I should be acting like this. I should be experiencing this. I should be able to perform like I'm asking myself to perform. For instance, during the pandemic, when I was working like crazy, I should be able to produce more. I have all the time in the world, you know, (laughs) we're inside all day. I should be able to perform like I want to, but there was traumas and emotions and actual things in our lives happening besides just being in the house all the time, especially in Florida, like life actually started to open up very quickly. And I didn't have that compassionate witness at the time. And so I think it's, it's such a beautiful concept, the compassionate witness, because it's, you now have to ask, Am I sitting in front of a compassionate witness? Do I need to create boundaries with these people? And am I being a compassionate witness? And where can I go inward and be that? It's truly a lifelong journey really,
1: right? Absolutely, absolutely. And this is, I mean, it's so powerful and it's so important. As far as I'm concerned, this is the most worthy work of a lifetime. I mean, people use that term cycle breaker, but it is breaking generational cycles of harm, harm that has, you know, and it's only recently that we're really taking children's emotional lives into consideration, Mm -hmm. but our emotional lives are everything. And to neglect that part of ourselves is to shut off or cut off or sever a huge part of what connects us to the miracle of being alive right and the, the miracle of and yes even in the in the pandemic like being able to see, I can't work right now. Like this is a a glow. This is the collective traumatic Mm -hmm. experience that we're moving through. It's not business Mm -hmm. as usual. It is a time for great. It's a time that we have the opportunity to go inward and access deeper healing. If we choose, you know, some, some will see it that way. Some, some won't, but I do think that, you know, if you have that awareness, it's Mm -hmm. such a gift. Doesn't always feel like no. a gift, but <laughs> um, but I think
0: it's really I think it's really important also to understand like for me what I found really important in as I went deeper into the discovery of what does that mean? What is somatic experiencing? Cause I even went on a journey where I thought I wanted to become a somatic experiencing practitioner as well, because that's what I do. I find something and then I think maybe it's my next career. Um, and actually yeah. what I learned through more research was that I didn't need to go on a three year new career excursion, but I needed to work with the tools myself and view, start to, view the world around me as well. Like how can I be a more compassionate witness to my daughter, to my fiance, to the people around me, to myself, right? That was like my first inquiry. Mm -hmm. And then once you get into that inquiry, the next thing that has to happen are boundaries, which I feel like was the other great Mm -hmm. hashtag of 2021. Definitely 2021 was boundaries. (laughs) So can you share Besides the phrase that gets thrown around, you know, truly when you go into this work and you become aware of who you are and who you are not, the things that happen to you, the things that you can claim in your power are yours to change and to behave differently as you choose and to heal. How do you create boundaries in this new awareness? And what does that look like? And that's what your yes program is, correct? It's this... Digging yeah. into this inquiry, understanding who you are and who you're not, and then creating the space to move about the world. Right. So, just share what that works. Yes.
1: Like. Yes. Um, such a great question. And as far as I'm concerned, if you're doing if you're doing any kind of trauma work, you're doing boundary mm-hmm. work. And if you're doing boundary work, then then trauma work needs to be a part of it mm-hmm. as well. Um, they're one and the same for me because the essence of what trauma does is to break our natural inherent boundaries. Or, you know, that that may have been part of the initial trauma as well that we just didn't have any. And I work with a lot of of uh, recovering people pleasers. And you mentioned the the term fawn response. So we have the four. Oh major, yes. please uh, share those. Trauma. So fascinating. Yeah. So we have the. Most people have heard of fight and flight. You know, those are the more activating responses. We either move towards a threat, that's the fight response, where we move away from the threat, which is the, the flight response. If those aren't available, then we move into freeze. I'm a freezer. And it's always been my response. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that. Right, yeah. My, my two main ones are freeze and fawn, for sure. Um, freeze, you know, it can feel like paralysis. Like you just can't, it can, you know, also feel like procrastination, lethargy, uh, being tired. Um, it can also feel like I just, I can't, right. That's that I can't energy. Um, and fawning is the one that has also become, uh, you know, more popular and, and talked about more recently too, is, is the response involved in our social engagement system, so that we actually instead of setting up boundaries for ourselves and recognizing this person or this event or circumstance is not for me we go closer towards the threat we 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 essentially try, try to befriend the threat or appease mm. the threat so that we can make sure that we're on their side or on that side oh
0: so God, that we will not be this. in danger
1: <laughs> thinking of a specific <laughs> circumstance of oh. something new awareness to work on right well it's also very supportive in our mm. culture and you know um especially if you were as uh, socialized as as a woman you know we're we're very much taught from an early age to well i was anyway i'll speak for myself um to look good, you know, to to sound good, to do the best that you can, to um, go along, to get along, and so if you've been kind of indoctrinated into that way of living, there is a sense of you have to be everything for everyone else, yeah. which and, and and then of course you're not for yeah. yourself. So the trauma healing and the setting boundaries go hand in hand because it is a lot of unlearning, conditioned and maladaptive or harmful ways of of being. And also learning that it's okay to say Mm -hmm. no, it's okay to stand up for yourself, but not only that it's okay, but having it feel okay Mm -hmm. in your body. Because right? for some, saying no or setting a boundary feels life-threatening. Mm-hmm. I know it did for me too. So it's one thing to, you know, okay, this is what you say when you're setting a boundary, but if your body is like, no, nope, I'm not going to say that, then it it will fall flat, or you know, you'll freeze up and your vocal cords won't work or you'll in the moment, people. and or you'll ghost people exactly. Exactly. And that is because your body feels like it might Mm -hmm. die if you set this Mm -hmm. boundary or if you say no. So that's the work that we do within the YES program is starting from, you know, scale it all the way back to the very beginning, work with the nervous system and figuring out what the blocks are at this most uh, root level so that when we get to the boundary setting, which is in module 3 and 4 like it will be it will feel more natural and more organic rather than trying to set boundaries before you even know mm-hmm. who you are awesome. and that's one of the main topics that i work with my clients on is i don't even know who i mm-hmm. am you know i've I've been in this people pleasing or fawning experience for the majority of my life. And I have no idea what is actually for me or what I want or what I like. And so yes stands
0: for your essential self. And I noticed that when I was just rereading up on it, what does essential self mean? Like, what does it mean to know who you are? Because I think that, you know, you, you get to a place where you're 20 something, 30 something years old you formed an identity possibly around what you should be doing, what you think you should be doing, or even in my case, what I've rebelled against, I created an identity of what I am not in a lot of ways in my life. And so how do? what is the process of returning to your essential self and what is the essential self?
1: Hmm. So the essential self is the term that we use in somatic experiencing. And It's a sense of who you are at your core, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you will go through, that has always been there and being able to tap into this core sense of self. So one definition that Peter Levine shares of somatic experiencing is that it's inviting your soul back Mm -hmm. into your body. And so we're really returning to the sense of self that does shift and change. It's not ever present. Um, it's not one way of being. It's that you feel comfortable living in your own skin. that no matter what comes your way, you can s- still be for mm-hmm. you. You can know you know what you want, how you want to move forward. And it's also feeling safe being in your body. It's learning how to feel safe being with yourself, no matter the circumstances, you know, with screens, without screens, with coping mechanisms, without coping mechanisms, in relationships or not, so that you basically have your home with you, no matter where you go. So returning to your essential self is a dynamic process right? And, and we do work with identity towards the end of the program as well. And, you know, okay, where do you want to go at this point in your life, in this mm-hmm. season in your life? But the essential self is there no matter what that identity is.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful. The work you do is so incredible, Abby. Thank you so much for sharing in such an intimate mm-hmm. way. I really appreciate it. Um, I've been asking everybody, the podcast is called Rebellious Reinvention. What does that phrase mean to you?
1: Mm. Oh um you know, I was thinking about that before before coming on today. And working with you and you know, seeing your journey and having you be that, I feel like you were really that catalyst for me in my own rebellious reinvention. Um, but for me, it's the, it's the knowing that I have the agency to decide for myself, right? No matter what I am working from, from my values, from my experience, from my essential self, so that if I change my mind tomorrow and I decide I want to do something different or go into a different field, then I can do that without being worried about what other people are going to think or um, you know, any any values that may buck up against this reinvention of myself that aren't mine, I can easily differentiate that and know like, I get to do this for me because this is part of being human. This is part of being alive, is that I get to change and I get to grow and I get to mm-hmm. evolve. And when... When we're in that healthy frame of reference and, you know, have regulation in our nervous system and have been excavating so we can uncover the blocks within us, that's more of a natural knowing, you know, that the the world is uncertain. The future is uncertain. Life is about uncertainty. And I can still hold on to myself in that uncertainty as I shift and change and grow and rebel and reinvent.
0: Yes. I love that interpretation. It's really beautiful. It resonates really closely with my own interpretation as well. Mine is like, basically, it's like integrity towards self in any and all times, always integrity towards self. I think that especially in the yoga world where we come from, you know, there's a lot of talk around what is integral showing up on time being professional for your clients, it's always this external version of integrity, not always, but often it's used as a way to framework, you know, the environment. And, um, I'm just rebelliously dedicated to my own personal integrity and making sure I, I stay in line with my own true North. And it's, it's a wonderful task. (laughs) It's, Ever growing.
1: Truly, yeah. Truly, truly, it reminds me of, um, of this uh, tenet of being faithful to mm. life. I'm, I'm faithful to life. I'm faithful to to what life has in store. I'm not faithful to the environmental circumstances or. Um, belief systems of of people around me i want to be i want to be able to flow with life and part of you know trauma resolution too is moving from the state of fixity to flow of stuckness to being able to move with life's experiences and and stay embodied in the process so beautiful
0: thank you for your time abby where can everybody find you where do you hang out and what is coming next
1: You can find me uh, most often on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Abby, A-B-B-Y, underscore Vernon, V as in Victor, E-R-N-O-N, underscore. And I also have a website, abbyvernon.com. So next up, we have another round of the YES program opening up soon. And I'll be talking more about that on my, on my Instagram. And um, yeah, who knows what's, what's beyond that. Exciting. I will continue to, to flow with life and see what life has. I'm inspired.
0: so proud of you. I'm so happy to witness you. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so thrilled for the people that get to experience you in this container and whatever capacity. I know three, four of my friends work with you one-on-one as well. And just thank you for honoring your gift and honoring Mm -hmm. the calling and your dedication to this work because it's impacting so many lives, even in our Miami community, as you work with the women here. And now I'm going to cry thinking about that. (laughs) So thank you so much, Abby. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It's an honor.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for supporting me and for, being a compassionate witness for me and this work and, and helping me uh, birth my own rebellious reinvention into the world. Couldn't have done it's it without my honor. You, for
0: sure. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Every week we have a reoccurring segment and I share my favorite things, tangible products to use, things to walk away with, and above and beyond the inspiration of these conversations. The categories are think, read, shop, do, and grab, and I'll share a few with you. Think this week's rebellious perspective. You are not broken. You are also not fixed. That is in a fixed state. Wherever you find yourself through whatever trauma you have experienced, there is still a way to have have a fulfilled and connected life. Through healing my responses to trauma and triggers, I am now leading and in the driver's seat instead of the passenger seat of my trauma responses. Peter A. Levine says, trauma is not what happens to us but what we hold inside in the absence of an empathic witness. And I grabbed that quote before our conversation with Abby. (laughs) How's that? So I ask you, what does it mean to be an empathic witness towards yourself and the things that you've experienced and you will experience in your life? The next thing I'd like you to do is go shop. As a woman who is in a state of conscious healing, it is important to be aware of what I put into my body and how it affects me. Which is why, amongst a few other reasons, I drink matcha over coffee most days, as y'all know. It gives me sustained energy instead of spiking my adrenals, allowing me to witness my emotions and triggers more easily. I only drink the best, though. World-renowned Dr. Andrew Weil, alternative medicine guru and founder of the Wild Center for Integrative Medicine, created matcha.com. It's the highest quality and best tasting matcha from Japan. You can use code Danielle Bigby to get 10% off your purchases. Another thing I'd like you to do is go join the waitlist to Abby's yes program. where you will work through Abby's proven framework, the L E A D lead method to help you move through the steps needed to access your current range of resilience, build a strong foundation of support, and then slowly and methodically work through the nervous system patterns that have been unconsciously holding you back so that you can come home to your essential self. You'll spend time uncovering and unwinding some subconscious grooves, evaluating with compassionate clarity, practicing conscious and embodied communication skills for your unique needs and desires. So go check out abbyvernon.com slash yes and enroll now. Thank you guys so much for listening and taking time to be here with me this week. Have a great day. Make sure you like subscribe and tag us on Instagram.